0: Hey, everyone. I'm Jacob Cohen Donnelly, and this is A Media Operator. This show is a discussion about building media companies for current and prospective media operators. We discuss business models, products, audience development, subscriptions, advertising, commerce, everything to help you with your media business. To learn more and to become a premium member of the newsletter, visit amediaoperator.com amopodcast to receive 10% off a yearly subscription. My guest this week is Mike Oren, the Chief Product Officer at the Dallas Morning News. During this nearly 70-minute discussion, we talked about how he got into the local news business, why this is the pivotal year for local media, the psychographic of the perfect subscriber, and how newspapers lost an entire generation of this audience among a variety of other topics. I hope you enjoy our discussion. So you're the first person from a local newspaper to join the show, which I'm incredibly excited about because I've never actually worked for a local publication. I want to learn more about how the whole thing works. But before we do, as someone who graduated with a degree in political science, I wanted to learn more about how you, who also graduated with a degree in political science, found your way to being the chief product officer at the Dallas Morning News.
1: Whew, that is a long and circuitous story. Um... I actually very early on uh, thought I wanted to be a newspaperman. Uh, I actually ran the uh, student newspaper at my high school for two years, uh, managed to turn it profitable enough that we bought early fishbowl Macs for uh, all the classrooms in the school. Um, And then kind of accidentally blew it up when we tried to address some, uh, some pretty serious racial issues in our school, and it, it kind of led to a mini-riot. Um, and at that point, I, I sort of swore off media, which is how I wound up in poli-sci uh, at Duke. Um, and I literally wasn't on campus six months before I got dragged into a, uh, a student publication And then wound up running uh, the publishing board at Duke, which is everything but the daily paper. Um, And at that point, I kind of shrugged and said, "Okay, God wants me in newspapers. I'm going to be in newspapers or in media, at least. Um, So my my first kind of serious gig uh, was after moving to Dallas and being here for about a year I was at the relaunch of D Magazine, which is one of the city mags, so if it's like New York Magazine, Boston Magazine, here in Dallas, ours is called D. Um, and it had gone out of business under the stewardship of American Express, uh, and I joined the group that that brought it back and kind of say that that's where I got my, my street MBA in publishing. Uh, I think I started there at age 22 and was maybe the second most experienced magazine person in the building at the time. Um, and, and so I, I've sort of followed a pattern after that of uh, a couple years of something entrepreneurial, a few years of something corporate, um, and then back to something on, entrepreneurial. Um, and probably my second most recent entrepreneurial venture uh is, is what got me in the orbit of the Dallas Morning News. So I started a pure play local uh, publication. It was back in the days when hyperlocal was first becoming a buzzword in the early 2000s uh, called Pegasus News. Um, and it was nominally a competitor to the Dallas Morning News with the idea that we would try and scale and go off and do other markets. Um, And and I wound up in the morning news's orbit, um, and there's a a kind of infamous story of how uh, they were looking at possibly buying us. It was a case of keep your enemies close. Um, And the deal went south, and I sort of – I I might have lost uh, my cool a little bit uh, and and, uh, neglected my tact and found myself getting walked out of the building uh, by security, uh, at the Dallas morning news. So, um, it was pretty funny when, uh, I guess maybe eight, nine years later, uh, I got approached to work with them on a content marketing agency. Uh, and so it was great fun to go in for the first meeting and say, you know, last time security walked me out, how's this going to turn out? Um, but the fact is I was there because I'm a news junkie and I've always been a news junkie and particularly a local enthusiast. So um, I ran the agency with them for a few years uh, and then we rolled that agency up into a larger group of agencies that we bought. Um, and I saw that as my opportunity to hop back into the the news paper or the, the web news side of the business. So I, I hopped in. I started out. Uh, doing marketing and business intelligence uh, and uh, a, a lot of operations stuff. Uh, but we, we were at an inflection point a couple years ago where we knew we needed to do something different digital. Um, digital product uh, via Pegasus News is really what I was known for by that point. Um, and so I, I like to, say that I, I kind of staged a coup. I just walked into the publisher's office and said, we don't have a product team. We need a product team. I'm starting one. We're going to rebuild the website. We'll launch in a year. Here's how much money we need. Um, and fortunately, he and I are really good partners. And he just looked at me and said, good. Now I don't have to ask you. Um, and so that, that start, that's when I became CPO, which I guess would have been uh, mid eighteen. Uh, as we started moving towards uh, our digital relaunch that we did last year.
0: Now, at a media company that is both print and digital, what is the specific focus of the Chief Product Officer? Are you strictly focused on the digital transformation of the organization, or do you have additional responsibilities? I'd say I'm
1: 90% focused on the digital transformation of the organization and our digital products. Um, I you know I sit on the management committee, and so it's a small group, and we all have our hands a little bit in everything. I do have a little bit of uh, responsibility in the print product, uh, particularly where we take digital things and think about how we're putting them in print um, a little bit. Uh, because marketing's under me, eyeballing uh, our page count and making sure that that's not getting out of line. Because if it gets out of line, it's probably because we're running uh, too many barter marketing ads. Uh, But I would say I I wake up and go to bed thinking about digital.
0: And then you mentioned uh, the intelligence unit and your LinkedIn says that you're still the president of Bellow and business intelligence. What exactly is that? And how do you Handle those responsibilities relative to the CPO responsibilities.
1: Yeah, so uh, they're really interlocked. Um, Look, like when when so so the agency I had done with the morning news was called Speakeasy, and we rolled it up into this larger group of agencies. And the original concept before I took over uh, the website was that that BBI, as we call it, was the connective tissue between the newspaper business. And the agency business, and to some extent, it still is. And, and where that really came together was in terms of uh, our our BI and analytics teams. Um, I also, at one point, had an advertising product team uh, rolling up to me, um, and, and so it started there. Um, but it was also just to be completely candid, we had three leaders in the business and. Each of us was being given a business to run, so you know, each of us got a president title on that, and it just hasn't gone away. Um, You know, I'm I'm very tangentially involved in our agency work in terms of supporting it with our analytics team, Uh, but they're they're pretty self sufficient. So uh, my my focus these days, I'd say, is. Probably 60 percent on product, 30 percent on marketing and uh, 10 percent on uh, analytics, Uh, which funny when I first pitched the idea that 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 a newspaper have a chief product officer, which seemed strange at the time. Um, I I dug up an article. It was a really good article. I forgot where, but it kind of lined out what the ideal chief product officer role was. And it pretty much covers those areas because you've got to if you're going to evolve the product, you've got to be really tight into what the analytics say. Um, And and you you the the best marketer of the product is going to be the team that knows the product best. Uh, So all of that kind of fits together nicely, but it's, it's not something that was like MBA engineered on an org chart.
0: And so is the team structure today, analytics, marketing, and product rolling up to you? Are there other departments as well? Yeah, all three of those roll up to me. Let's move a little bit and talk about local kind of overall, because when we were discussing you coming on the show, you said something both interesting and perhaps a little ominous. It was, quote, this is good timing to come on the show because this is a pivotal year for local.
1: Did I say "ah" uh, or "the"? I, I I might have even said "the."
0: You might have said "the." This is the pivotal year for local.
1: Yeah. So look, I mean, we have been on a slow motion collision course uh, with with local having to become primarily a digital business uh, for the last twenty years, um, and, and I was probably out there a little early. Uh, you know, howling at the moon, saying that, you know, there's not going to be print newspapers by, you know, 2010, get on board. But I I was a little early with it. But, you know, we've been moving that way uh, gradually. And like I think we've seen in many, many businesses, um, coronavirus, it was a big hit. It's going to go away eventually, but it has accelerated a lot of the good and bad fundamentals of a lot of businesses. And that's why you see so many businesses in, in, in any industry that are kind of marginal um, going, going under. Um, what I think it's done for, for news, newspapers and particularly local is it's accelerated what we were already going through. Um, we're all moving towards a digital-first, subscriber-first mindset, um, but with print advertising taking such a hit this year, um, you know, most of us, our peers, uh, are anywhere from twenty to thirty percent down in print revenues. Um, a lot of which don't look like they're going to come back. Uh, candidly. Um, and so it, it's jumped us ahead a couple of years, right? We, it used to be we could sort of set it like clockwork. Okay, print's going to be down 8% or 11%. Um, and and it's, that advertising stream has fallen so quickly um, that we're having to get more real uh, about what our digital future looks like. And, and, and don't take this to say that there won't be some form of print. Uh, there will. Um, and, and the overwhelming portion of our, and when I say our, I mean the industry, not just uh, the Dallas Morning News, most of our revenue is still in print. Um, we're all on, on various iterations. Well, I, 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 a lot of us are on various iterations of a mission uh, to get to the point where digital covers the costs uh so that we know we have a future going forward now now i think some of the hedge fund controlled companies are are more of an, in a milking and harvesting mode and i'm not quite sure what's going to be left uh when they get to the other side of that but but the way we look at it at least is uh you know we're going to try and skim off the runway uh as this thing comes down on the print side and and make it to the other side on digital um and that is going to be a tough trick for all of us.
0: So you and I actually met or virtually started talking a few months ago because I wrote a piece that said the reason local media is struggling so much is because of all the fixed costs tied to the print papers. And I use the Dallas Morning News as an example because you're one of the only uh, single paper public companies because you're owned by uh, Bellow Corporation. And what you suggested was that there's more than meets the eye in the raw financial numbers because of this transition from a print product to a digital first product. What specific steps has DMN taken to help facilitate that transition? For example, you dismantled some press, you know, press machines and stopped printing uh, for commercial clients. What else has happened and, in your opinion, needs to happen over the coming years for this transition to continue taking place?
1: Yeah, so you're you're correct in that we we pulled back on our commercial printing business. Uh, we we've really pulled back on any business that that isn't additive to the core, um, you know. And, and that started a bit before even that conversation you and I were having. Um, in terms of of you know, even after Belo split into TV and newspaper companies separate you know, uh, seven, eight years ago, we sold off our other newspapers, and then we sold off our real estate. And that's not an unusual story. Um, Where we are unusual a bit is that, um, yeah, we're publicly traded, but we're still basically controlled by the founding family. And we have no debt and we have cash in the bank, uh, largely because of some of those moves. Um, so, So it's allowed us to invest in several ways that not a lot of our uh, peers have been able to, um, part of it has just been as simple as not cutting uh, as deeply as you've seen a lot of folks having to cut into the news operation and, and into parts of the business that, uh, you know, r- calls people to want to buy subscriptions. So uh, I'd say we have a really good sized uh, newsroom compared to a lot of our peers um, another big piece of that is it's allowed us to invest in digital. Um, we've put a lot of, of headcount and emphasis on building out our digital products and on growing uh, subscriptions. Uh, this is a company that had probably not spent any meaningful external money on marketing uh, in 10 or 15 years. Um, and now, you know, it's granted it's part barter, but we've got a pretty robust uh, marketing budget uh, that we've been working on top of funnel consumer, uh, which I, I haven't seen newspapers doing in a long time. Um, So, you know, it's just it's allowed us to to just move a little more methodically and let be less reactionary to what happens in the market. Um, You know, that's we we didn't go, uh, you know, we didn't go enact layoffs or furloughs when the pandemic hit. We did have some pay cuts and we eventually restored all of that pay. Um, But I think it's just that that we're able to put our dollars behind that digital future Now, does that mean we ignore print absolutely not because like i said it's still the lion's share of the revenue and we've got a lot of subscribers uh uh that that we want to satisfy and and keep happy and keep with us because i mean really it's the print subscribers that are financing the digital growth uh, and if you don't have that one side of the business, then somebody's got to be dumping cash into the business and and that's tough uh, in the in this this economy. Uh, so um, really we we take the attitude of uh, if there is a dollar to invest, let's invest it in digital. And sometimes we find ways that the digital then comes back. And actually enhances print. Um, we've got a pro- product that started its life digitally called Forward DFW. Uh, that's kind of a cause marketing corporate sponsored product, but that also does a lot of pages in print. Uh, and in fact, if you rolled it all up in, into one product, it would be probably one of our biggest advertising accounts. Um, so you know we're focused on all, on 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 the whole business, uh, but I think there's more of a sense of urgency. Certainly in the last five years and now with the pandemic bringing, uh, bringing down some print streams faster than we'd expected, uh, that, that I think you're going to see everybody thinking uh, towards a, a primarily digital product now. And, and really, as far as the whole industry goes, I just
0: pray we're not too late. So Mark Thompson, the former CEO of the New York Times, has said that he doesn't think there will be a print product in the next 20 years. You thought print product would be gone in 2010, which you know was a little early. How do you see that transition occurring? You know, is it just one day all the presses turn off, or will it be more gradual? And how is the Dallas Morning News thinking about that?
1: Yeah, so it's going to be gradual, and and as I explain what I'm, I, I'm I'm going to delve into the, the 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 bringing down print. Um, But I want to make it clear, I'm speaking as somebody in the industry, somebody who's got uh, sort of a breadth of of experience across news orgs. I am not at all laying out the plans of the Dallas Morning News in this context. We have not made any decisions to do anything at this point other than keep printing seven days a week. That said, um, I think you're going to very much this year, it'll be in 2021, see the norm for local newspapers become five or six days a week in print. Uh, McClatchy's already gone uh, with its papers to six days a week. Uh, A lot of the European papers have gone to six. And and what I've heard from everybody who's gone through that is that cutting one day doesn't really uh, lose you any customers. One exec used the phrase 100% accretive to EBITDA. Uh, to describe their move to go to six days a week because you don't cut the price uh, and you, you stop a weaker day of the week that didn't have much advertising revenue associated with it and it's not enough to bust somebody's habit. Um, what we've heard from some of the European papers is that when you cut to five or you cut to four, then you start losing people. And then you've got to just start doing the calculus. And it's the same calculus that we do now as a seven-day, thinking that we could stay seven-day, you know, of of your the average age of your reader is up in the high 60s, and how much longer are they going to be with us because there are not new print readers coming up behind them, right? Um, so I think what you're going to see, there's, you know, it's a, there's an interesting angle in this that I've, I've really changed my mind on in the last two years. Uh, I think the digital replica, what, what a lot of people call the e-papers, is going to really be a major part of this transition. Um, and, and, you know, what I'm talking about is like it looks like a PDF of the paper, but it has a little more interactivity to it. Um, and, and, I, and being more of a pure digital guy, it's a product I used to always poo-poo. But, but what I've come to learn particularly over the last 10, 15 years, is that the pure digital reader has no interest in print. But by the same token, uh, the person who has been a pure print reader, the last thing in the world they want is your website. And there is almost nothing I can imagine that you could do with a web news experience that is going to make them happy. Um, And so there is this middle ground of of an e-paper, of a replica. Um, and, and I, I like to see them a little more interactive. I, I jokingly call them the Harry Potter papers, um, if it could be done right, but that top end of your subscriber base who is aging and print centric and frankly paying a whole lot more than the digital subscribers, uh, will accept that as a substitute, uh, and they won't accept a web or a mobile web experience or an app experience as a substitute. And I mean, obviously, that's a generalization. There are exceptions. Um, but the engagement we see on our ePaper product, I mean, it's like 28 minutes a day for the average reader. Um, I mean, they treat it like a newspaper, right? They actually dig into it. So, you know, I think a lot of how we make this transition over the next few years is going to be how cleverly do we use the ePaper paper to keep the let's call it 60 plus audience on board while we get the 40 plus audience that's always been our core audience uh, as a business, as an industry uh, to to start paying for the digital and be ready for the 20 to 30 something audience when they age up. Uh, and it, I can go to a separate tangent about why chasing the youth market in, in this context is, is a fool's errand, but I don't know if we have time for that.
0: Why is chasing the youth-metriced group of people in bad exercise for local media? Because whether it was ancient times,
1: pure print in the 70s and 80s, you know, the beginnings of digital, people subscribe to local newspapers when they own homes, pay taxes, Vote and have children. That is the demographic psychographic. And I have seen no less than a hundred different efforts over the course of my career to go after the youth market. Let's do a young, hip product and get twenty somethings on board. Um, that it's not a matter of uh, it, it missing the youth market. They're not ready for you yet. They're just that's not what their interest is. Um, and, and that's why you see so much of the alt-weekly market is free publications because people expect arts and entertainment coverage for free um, and they're not in the mind to pay for, you know, watchdog city hall or, or school board coverage or, you know, home and design type stuff. So you know, I think the problem in our industry is we messed up and lost the current, say, 40 to 50 something generation uh, because they were the hybrids and we didn't really give them a great experience in print or digitally. Uh, we sort of we left them hanging on both ends. And so that market is drastically underrepresented in our industry subscriber roles. Um, but the you, you got to you, you, I've, I've never seen anyone succeed in local in getting the kids on board until they grow up and buy
0: houses. I want to pivot the conversation now and focus on digital products specifically, since that is where you spend the majority of your time thinking. And I've got a multitude of questions, so I'm just going to jump right in with them. Starting with analytics, because you know data informs decisions, but doesn't actually make decisions, what numbers are most important to you to running a healthy subscription and local news business?
1: So there's, there's a few. Um, the one that I think is actually or the, the set that I think is actually the most useful and impactful um, really ties around the content and what content is converting people. Uh, we've built a pretty robust attribution model now, and everyone in our newsroom has access to it, pays attention to it. Uh, we have about three different levels of uh of contributing before you even get to the direct conversion. Uh, And, and we keep feeding data back to the newsroom, literally on a daily basis of what content is converting subscribers. Um, And then, and then, you know, we, we help connect those dots as to why Um, a lot of it is topic. uh, Some of it is frequency, but, but keeping our newsroom, armed with the knowledge they need to make the right decisions. And I don't mean, when I say make the right editorial decisions, that's not to, you know, do, do you go right or left? It's, you know, are we going deep on real estate or retail, right? For, for one example. Um, so that, that is the core. That is the thing that, that we've got everybody in the organization looking at every day. Um, beyond that, from a product side, Um, we look a lot at what content gets people to do what I call lane skipping. So what, what you find is most of our readers, they either read sports or they read entertainment or they read news or they read real estate. They they, they have their one nation. That's what they read us for. um, the value proposition becomes clearer to the reader when they start reading you from in multiple contexts and you're ubiquitous in their lives. So we, we've done a lot of work in the last year and i will do even more next year on are we getting people to lane skip? Are we getting those people out of sports and into news? And there, there's there's a number of ways of doing that with customization. I'd say the last thing we're really watching, which is something that I, I fear we've neglected too much, um in the early days of being a subscriber business is we're also really starting to look at what's our market penetration of visitors in the in the local market. Uh, I think we've gotten as an industry pretty good at converting the people who come in and use the site, uh, but we we've uh, we've ignored the top of funnel a bit. Um, and, and at least for us, we're at a point where we've got to get that top of funnel back and bigger, uh, in order just for the math, you know, that so sort of the algorithm to work. If you're going to convert X percent, you know, you've got to get them, get them, uh, there. So that's why we're doing some of the brand awareness kind of work, uh, and, and doing a lot of things, um, in, in promotions just to, uh, just to get people, reacquainted with local news sites or using them for the first time.
0: So in a piece published over the summer, Scrolls CEO, Tony, I believe it's Hale, It might not be said that the New York times has more digital subscribers in Dallas Fort worth than the Dallas morning news. And that same statistic can be said about Seattle, Los Angeles, San Francisco. And I imagine the list goes on pretty much everybody, but Boston.
1: And it might, and they might even have more in Boston than Boston, but Boston's the only one that is possibly uh, over that that threshold. Boston got really, really good at subscriptions early, ahead of the rest of us, um, and so they're they're a good bit ahead of us on on that. But yeah, I would say almost any true local paper in this country has more New York Times subscribers in its market than they do their own.
0: You know, it's an interesting problem because research, there was some research, and I can't remember by whom, that suggested that people who are willing to pay for news are typically only willing to pay for one subscription. And so if people are opting to choose the New York Times, how do you think local can p- compete with this monolith eating up so much of the subscriber revenue? And what is Dallas Morning News focusing on to try to combat that?
1: Yeah, and boy, that's a complex question and one that, like, I hope I can come back in a couple of years and tell you we've cracked. Um, So I think there's a couple ways, though, that 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 can be addressed. Um, One is we think of ourselves not just as competing with The New York Times or, say, the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. We're also competing with Peloton. And Disney Plus and Netflix, right? There are so many subscriptions, not, not even news subscriptions, that somebody is going to buy. And if only one of those is news and somebody is really committed to national and world news, we're not going to get that slot. So one answer is to get another slot, right? So one of the areas that, that drives the most subscriptions for us uh, is commercial real estate. Uh, coverage and reporting um, so maybe we fill your b2b slot if you're in that industry um, one of our other heaviest drivers of subscriptions is uh, kind of insider foodie dining news in our market so maybe it's a lifestyle subscription that that we're that we're filling uh, because look if we go to war on the with the new york times on national and international news we're not even we're not not even going to be able to compete and that's not really what we're here for um, so that gets to the sort of the, 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 next angle, which is, and it's something that we've debated a good bit with our ad agency over the last year is, uh, do you get people, do you have to engage people in the community in order to get subscribers? And I hope that that's not our primary, uh, avenue because that makes it a really steep climb. Um, but, uh. There was a study we looked at from back in the 80s uh, but that I still believe has some uh, validity today and they said that the, the number one that the, the top indicators that you would get, you were going to subscribe to a local newspaper were you owned a home, you had children, you went to church, you volunteered somewhere and you voted. And each one of those things was like a multiplier on, on each other. Well, if you look at the numbers and, and, and the statistics societally, um, the numbers on all of those things have, have been, uh, pre, you know, most recent election aside, have been trending down. Um, so, you know, one of the, the angles uh, is, is to get people engaged and proud in their community Um, And that makes them want to be subscribers. So uh, I'll say there's a campaign we've had some success with that on. Um, We've done a big marketing campaign around voting. And Dallas uh, traditionally has the worst voter turnout of any major metro in the U.S. Uh, And and again, I'm going to take the the most recent presidential election out of the equation because I think it's an anomaly. But if you go back for the last couple of elections, like, We've seen the voter, the voting turnout increase based on our ad campaign, and we've seen our voter guide drive a tremendous number of subscriptions. Um, And if you follow all of that, you probably are panning and saying, oh, my God, that sounds exhausting to go through all of that to sell local subscriptions. But that's how hand to hand tactical uh, I think it may be. Um and then finally, on this front, and this is uh, something that I've been uh, shouting for for a number of years, um, we have to as an industry find a way to have a bundled news subscription that works absolutely for the consumer, but also just as much for the publisher. Um, so not an Apple News um, is a way of thinking about it. And I really do believe that we're going to need to see sometime in the next five years or so, a a one subscription to rule them all that gets you your local news site that is a paid subscription, plus one of the nationals. Um, and it could be the Times, it could be the, the Post, maybe as a dark horse, it could be the Journal. Um but uh, I, I really think we're going to have to bring consumers that because uh, they really don't want a dozen new subscriptions. Uh, and, and I'm sure we're going to talk about the matchup a bit. And that, that's kind of a Trojan horse into that model.
0: We are going to talk about the matchup, uh, but we're also going to talk about that same article that Tony wrote, which that statistic about, you know, where the subscriber numbers were was a, was an introduction to the idea that you needed this sort of local and national bundle. It's not going to be the New York times because the New York times is eating everybody. So why share with anybody? But his argument was it should be the Washington post, the number two large national newspaper. Uh, It's more tech driven than the times it's, you know, it's, it might be more in its DNA to sort of do this. How do you see that sort of a relationship playing out with the Washington Post kind of partnering with local papers? And then from a technical perspective, how could that even be introduced? Because you're dealing with payments and you're dealing with user information where everyone's going to want to control everything. So how would that even work?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So while they're certainly not going to be in all or even the majority of newsrooms with their ARC platform, which is what we are using as our CMS, as a ad uh, delivery system, and now as a pay meter, um, they've got their hands in a lot of local media businesses now. Um, you know, they, In terms of, uh, you know, in digital, they're my three top vendors, are all the Washington Post. Um, and so they're getting a a closer view into local, um, and, and they're not all hep to it yet. I I mean I know their their guy who's the head of local who focuses on like the D C metro area for the post, and you know he, he's not seeing the kind of resources that that the the development that's going towards local papers is but my point is they're getting a little bit in rooted into our businesses in ways that i think they're going to start seeing some benefit to that um in terms of of who owns the consumer relationship um i I want to put a pin in that one and come back to it when we talk about the matchup because i do think that that's really a, a key piece um but, you know, the Post is certainly has subscription room to gain. They've got headroom to gain against uh, the Times. Uh, and, and they need something additional to offer. And I think that, that a local news product uh, could be a meaningful part of that. You know, the, the thing is, back, back, you know, 30 years ago, we were all trying to be the New York Times. We were all trying to be the Washington Post. The Dallas Morning News had bureaus in, in multiple continents and, uh, you know, all over the country. And we all sent reporters to, you know, the Olympics and the World Cup. And, um, and, and look, that, that's, that's changed uh, with digital. And it no longer really makes sense to have 500 companies covering the same thing, necessarily. Um, now, 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 now you need four to cover it and, and a hundred to aggregate it. Um, but look, I, I also think that part of it is, you know, journal, journalism organizations have over the centuries, not always behaved rationally. Um, and for good and bad, and and there is a bit of a a religion of of freedom of the press and and journalism for all that is embedded in all of these organizations, um, at their core, and I I pretty much believe that, that 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 neither the Times nor the Post want to see a world without local newspapers, um, where their farm teams. Uh, we're we're a feeder, we're a canary in the coal mine for a lot of the things that they're trying to cover. And I think if we're not here, God help them, they're going to be tempted to go into the business themselves. Um, and, and I think before they do that, there, there will be some partnerships tried to see if we can't all make it work together.
0: So before we talk about the matchup, I do want to close the loop on a few other components of the post, uh, sorry, of Dallas Morning News' business. Uh, and I, I, I slip up and mention the post because you're obviously a big fan of their technology. Launching or relaunching a website and changing a CMS for an organization as old as the Dallas Morning News must be a daunting exercise. So can you walk through why the organization decided to go and move forward with ARC Publishing? How you got the entire newsroom and the executive team and all various stakeholders on board with it. And then what actually went into that transition? Because like I said, it can probably be very painful. Yeah.
1: Well, so, and, and we were in a, a unique position and it kind of goes back to the old, we were all trying to be the New York times at one point. So we were on our own homegrown CMS that we had built hoping to, and this was before my time, but hoping to be the, you know, the one CMS to rule them all. And we'd go license it to all of our peers in the industry. Um, And the way I put it is we, we invested several of millions of dollars in that. And then the post turned around and, you know, I don't know what they invested, but I'm sure it was probably hundreds of millions of dollars in, in theirs. Um, and so, you know, we were in a position where we actually had only one developer in-house. We had an out-of-house agency that was both building and maintaining the site for us um, and the CMS, and we were literally having to blow our entire budget every year just to stay even, just to stay functional, right? Like, we weren't able to really invest in new features um, or in UX in the way that we wanted to. Um so, so the calculus became very simple that we we did not want or need to be in the CMS business ourselves. Um, I wanted somebody else to take care of the plumbing so that we could focus on the 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 fixtures inside the house that consumers really used. Um, and so, at the time, uh, you know, when I looked out at at what was out there. Um, I'm not. I probably didn't give the CMS's for the like the the digital news CMS's tied to print providers much of a shake because they were tied to print. Um, I looked hard at doing WordPress, um, and I think we could have gone that route. Um, but Arc, and in the time it was just the CMS, you know, they brought a really great proposition in terms of. They were doing the R and They were keeping the ship afloat. They were doing all of the the core tech that kept us alive, and they were providing the, uh, you know, the AWS piece. They are providing the CDN. Uh, like t- today is a great example. Uh, AWS was down all over the country today and caused a lot of problems for some sites and. Yeah, it caused us problems too, but I didn't have to worry about it because there was nothing we could do. It was the, it's the post problem, and and you know, it was kind of like if the post is down, we're down. But other than that, we're we're covered, which frees us then to to do our own um, UX work and, and unique features um, like this local graph product we've created. That's like a, a, a localized knowledge graph behind the news that that we never would have gotten to. Um, if, if we weren't working with somebody like Arc, um, so, so, and, and the, and the, the, the calculus on the decision, I, we wound up being able to hire a room full of developers and move the site to a better platform and save significant money, uh, that we could then go back and reinvest in content or marketing or, or wherever we needed it. So, um, you know, it just, it really made sense on all levels, um, uh, you know, just the same as we don't need to be building our own printing presses, uh, we, we don't need to build our own CMSs. So in terms of getting the the, the management team on board, I was very fortunate in that I had got a history in di- local digital news product. And so there was a great deal of trust built up. Um, and so they kind of let me, my, my, my colleagues really let me go do what I what I needed to do. Um, getting the newsroom on board, um, it's a little sad to say, was easy also because our existing CMS was so terrible um, and workflow for them was so bad that, that I don't think we could have made it worse uh, in going to a new CMS. So it was only improvements and upside. I mean, yes, everybody has, uh, nobody uses a CMS that doesn't have a gripe with it somewhere. Uh, but I, I, I want to say I, I, we actually did like before and after surveys with the newsroom. And I think we went from a 20 percent approval rating on the old site to like something like an 87 percent approval rating on the new site from a, a workflow perspective. So it was just kind of a win, win, win all the way around. And then but but. That's like the engine underlying. Like I said, it's the plumbing. It's the stuff we shouldn't have to worry about. The really more significant thing about the relaunch uh, was that it allowed us to take control of our UX um, and be able to iterate that, you know, on a every other week sprint schedule, as opposed to, you know, once a quarter when our outside developers, you know, were able to do a big deploy and Boy, do we hope it works when when it goes live, right? So, um, you know, it, it just it, it it gave us the tools to free us to focus on the things that we could be unique on.
0: So you mentioned that you are focusing more of the business on becoming a subscription first company, but obviously, you still have a pretty decent component of advertising, both on the print side, but I imagine also on the digital side. How do you envision the advertising business evolving at Dallas Morning News, considering the third-party cookie is going away? And with that in mind, how is DMN capturing additional first-party data so that you're able to still offer your adver- advertising partners the data they need to make good ad buys?
1: Advertising will always still be a component of what local news does. And and I remember learning very early when I was at D Magazine, our publisher sitting me down and uh showing me the the fashion ads at the front of the magazine. I think I'd been disdaining them somehow. And and he was like, you realize that that this is news to our readers, right? Even though it's a paid ad and it's clear who paid for it. The fact that this new thing is available at Highland Park Village is news to them. So I local advertising has a role, uh, particularly where it's unique and always will. So I think we're, we're, we're seeing more sponsorship type advertising on the local level. We're seeing more, um, for instance, like we've got a local grocery store that has uh, kind of partnered with us and and is really a, down to being embedded in some of our features as the sponsor of our food section. Um, and so I think the model is much more that than hey, here's a CPM, we're buying ads. Um, Because of that, it's kind of funny. Local is the one place where Zeus actually doesn't really uh, make a a huge difference in monetization, not because of anything wrong with Zeus, but the way Zeus works is uh, it makes the ads much more viewable and advertisers at a national level pay more for viewability. Most of your direct local advertisers don't even know what viewability is, and if they do, they're still not really thinking about it much. So, like, we weren't able to raise our CPM on our local advertisers because we had better viewability. We have to draw, show them value in other ways, and that they'll come around on that over time. But, but the local advertising component. Um, uh, you know, I think it's going to be more sponsor-driven, more partner-driven. Um, and, and you know, the nice thing with Zeus is it lets us um, on the national level, when we do uh, arbitrage out that inventory, actually get a, a better price for it. Um, you know, in terms of the the first-party cookies, I actually think this is going to be a big boon for local uh local news orgs uh, it actually, the kind of data we have about the interests of our readers got commoditized by programmatic and by Facebook. Right. So it got to the point of where, you know, I don't want to to reach Dallas Cowboys fans. I don't go to the Dallas morning news. I go to Facebook and say, give me all the Dallas Cowboys people Um, in the programmatic world is that becomes harder in concept with the the demise of the first party cookie with the kind of content data we have on people um i I think there is a great opportunity i still question though whether or not we have the scale uh that we need to make that really sing um and that's why i mean there that's another project that the local media consortium where i'm on the board um is working on is is how can we uh, as, as publishers work together to sort of share that, you know, so so that we get to something like a second party cookie, um, between us, uh, so, so that we can take advantage of that. Um, but you know, there's always going to be that core of local advertising. I just think we're going from a world where, you know, 10, 20 years ago we were 75% ads, 25% subscriptions And that's going to invert itself uh, by the time we get through this. Um, I think the thing to watch in local news this year in particular is what happens to inserts because so much of what drives that print revenue are inserts. And for multiple reasons, those may not come back, right? You've already seen like the best buys of the world pull out of inserts because uh, they, they just can't afford to do it anymore. Um, and then on the flip side, we saw the grocers during the pandemic pull out of inserts because they didn't need them because they were so overrun with business with everybody staying home. You know, as we transition back to normal, what happens with inserts will be a big multiplier on whichever direction the business is going, more print centric or more digital centric. Um, and, and right now my my money is, um, and, I, and I take no pleasure in this, that uh, my money says that, that the insert business is going to universally dry up uh, a, a lot faster than any of us thought, which is going to push us faster
0: into digital. So now let's jump into the matchup, which is actually a really interesting project that if it works, should help local media quite a bit. Can you explain what the matchup is and how it came to be? Yeah, yeah. So
1: I, I mentioned a second ago, I'm on the board of the Local Media Consortium, uh, which is a trade organization that historically what we've done is negotiate on behalf of the local news industry. Um, so that, for instance, Google for ad serving treats us as one big account in terms of pricing, Um which gets us a much better deal than any of us could get on our own. And, and so we've negotiated deals with many, many vendors. Um, and um, over the last couple of years, have started to look at how we can build kind of, you know, that's great defense. We wanted to go on offense and how we could build product for the industry that would be good and, and helpful to everyone. And, and the matchup came out of one of those early conversations. And the concept is this. Is uh, look in, in pro and college sports, particularly in pro sports, nobody covers the hometown team like the hometown newspaper. Um, and you know, we like to say nobody covers the Cowboys like the Dallas Morning News. Uh, but if you live in Philly and you're playing the Cowboys, I, I, we can't expect you to buy a subscription to the Dallas Morning News for that game. Um, if you're really interested in all the NFL teams, well, you can't buy subscriptions to all the papers in all those markets. Uh, so the idea here is that the matchup will be a, a product that includes all of the content uh, from our members uh, covering pro and college sports. Um, there's a couple different ways you'll get it, but the primary one's the destination site. So, somewhat in competition with, say, the athletic or espn.com. Um, and you can follow teams, you can follow leagues, you can, you know, basically, if it's a pro or, co- or major college conference team, uh, we're going to have coverage on it. And and the twist here, and this is the thing I was putting a pin in earlier in terms of the consumer relationship, is the only way to get a subscription to the matchup is to be a subscriber or member of your local media outlet. So if you're in Dallas uh, and you go to read content on the matchup and you're a Dallas Morning News subscriber, you automatically get in free. If you're not a Dallas Morning News subscriber, the matchup's going to say, hey, it looks like you live in Dallas. You can get all the sports content you want from all the teams and all the news orgs around the country. You just got to subscribe to the Dallas Morning News. And if we picked wrong where you live, here's a list of the you know the out, the member outlets. You got to subscribe to one of them. But the consumer relationship stays with the local market, um, and that's how we've gotten the 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 member media companies to really agree to this and and get excited about it is, um, you know, unlike the athletic that's trying to, uh, you know, basically has got to please VCs and VC kind of numbers. All we're trying to do with the matchup is not lose a ton of money on the core business and drive as many local subscriptions as we can. So like our general manager, Kevin Lachland, who we've uh, hired recently, he's going to be judged based on how many subscriptions he sells in Minneapolis and Seattle and, and Raleigh and Miami and Dallas, not on how big a media business we build. Um, and, and we're able to do that because the at least the core content is free. Um, because that's what, what's being contributed by the, uh, the member companies. There's also a secondary model that we actually already have out in Alpha right now, and that's more of where Dallas is playing Philly, and therefore, if you're on the Dallas site, you can see everything that the Philly writers are saying about that matchup that week. Um, and, and we're testing that in about 70 cities right now around the country, um, and looking to launch the uh, the full site uh, probably next spring.
0: So do you ever envision building on that article that Tony wrote do you ever envision that there could be a national local bundle or will that just never work?
1: No, I believe there could be. I absolutely do and 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 as you kind of alluded to, you know, you and I and Tony and uh, Jared uh, and a lot of these other folks, we've been talking about this in the corners for a while. Um, I'm absolutely a believer in that. I just think we have to get the industry there to the point where, you know, take the local media consortium. We, we represent 3000 media outlets and it's about 85 different companies. We've got to make it make sense for the critical mass of those before anybody's going to uh, to jump on board, that's why I think that the matchup is is actually a good half step uh, where where we can minimize the risk and and learn some things. But but I, I look, I think the industry, if we're going to survive, has to get there sometime in the next decade, and you know, depending on economy and pandemics, maybe sooner.
0: So one final question on the matchup. Do you philosophically think about that as a offensive tool to get a bunch of new subscribers or more of a defensive tool to reduce subscriber churn since they're now getting so much more content?
1: Um, I think it's a little bit of both. I think of it more as an offensive tool, though, to gain subscribers uh, first and foremost. Um, it, it, the folks who read sports in a local newspaper uh, or site they're very avid, but it's a small percentage of the audience. Um, and, and, but we find, again, to go back to the lane-switching conversation earlier, that once you get them in the ecosystem, uh, they, they consume content in other ways. The only way in which I think of it as a defensive move, I, I mean, yeah, I think it will save us all some churn. Um, churn is not as much our problem, I, I think, and in, in, in general as new business But there is a there is a defensive uh, posture there in a sense. You know, the um, you know, the athletic uh, built its local shops largely by raiding the newsrooms of local newspapers and made a lot of noise early on about their intent to kill local newspapers uh, with with their product. Um, and and I think we're all a little sore, one, that they were were able to, to take our talent and, um, you know, to that that talent may not have gotten the, you know, have the opportunity to do everything that they wanted to do um, a, as they moved on. So I think it is a little bit of a defensive move for us in terms of helping retain our sports newsrooms and give folks who maybe want to be national in stature. Uh, more of an outlet uh, and and hopefully a, a product that will be around for, for a longer haul.
0: So I want to talk just for a little bit, talking about the differences between a media product manager and a big tech product manager, because they are different. How do you view the two roles and how, or more specifically, what skills do you think a media PM needs to have and what you look for when you're evaluating hiring them.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm i much more versed on the media side than on these kind of general product manager side. So I, I'm going to be speaking a bit from some supposition uh, on that. Um, but I think the media product manager uh, – I kind of see it as an amplification of some of the, the skills that are needed in terms of being able to mediate between different groups in the organization. Um, uh, you know, having having both ad sales and a newsroom and consumer sales um, is something that that is a little bit unique to media, um, and that I think that uh, juggling all of those is is a really delicate balance. Um, also, you know, depending on what kind of media you're talking about, but, but the world that I live in, um, you probably don't have the resources of, of the big tech uh, product manager, um, you know. And so, like, I know, like, my head of digital product, uh, Sylvia, you know, she came out of Yahoo and uh, she was good about this, but, but she had to learn really quickly, like, we don't have Yahoo resources, Um, so there's a lot of sleeve rolling up. There's a lot of getting deeper in the weeds, uh, than maybe, uh, you would be in a big product organization. And and there's some benefit to that too, because it means you're so close to the data and you're so close to the marketing. Um, but I think you have to really know how the whole business works and, um, (laughs) Media is not a simple business, never has been, isn't particularly now. You know, I think there's also, you do have to have some respect for the legacy side um, and and make sure that you're not doing anything to damage that, right? So, um, you know, this is a, a small example, but we were, our, our product team pitched in to help the newsroom uh, some with uh graphic visualizations and data feeds for election results uh for the website this year and we didn't think about the fact that somehow that had to get into print until somebody in the newsroom raised their hand like you know a week before and said hey how are we going to get this into the newspaper?" Oh, you mean that thing that carries over half of our rev- uh, revenue and of people who are going to be adamantly wanting to see who the elections? Like, we better figure that out. So, I just I think it, it, there's some complexities and sensitivities that get added, uh, particularly in this time, for a a media product manager.
0: So, I want to wrap up with the same two questions I ask everyone I interview on the show. Looking at your career, what is a mistake that you made? And what did you learn from it that made you better professionally?
1: So, I'll go back to when I had this um, Pegasus News uh, site. So, so, so and, and a very short backstory. So, it was like a, it, it wasn't hyper local. It was pan local. It was sort of covering the whole market. Um, and I sorely sorely underestimated the value of an incumbent local brand um and what that meant was you know in in the anecdotal sense again they were talking in the early 2000s here um the number one customer service complaint I got at Pegasus News when people would call in was that they had not received their Dallas Morning News on their doorstep that day uh People know existing brands and people don't necessarily know um, what they are consuming if it's not a legacy brand. So I, I'm not by any any measure saying that you can just coast on your legacy brand and get away with it, but particularly in local um, where where scale is hard to achieve, you can't underestimate the value of, um, when I did the content marketing agency with the Morning News, I would call it the the halo of credibility um, that comes from being the Philadelphia Inquirer or the Seattle Times or the Minneapolis Star Tribune. And I completely in in that startup um, underestimated that and I think that allowed us, caused us to make some bad decisions along the way um, that really, you know, kept us from, from achieving the scale we could have. And part of it was being, you know, overly proud about partnering with the incumbent local newspaper. Um, you know, if uh, if, I, if I had been been better, of a better temperament to partner back then, Um, I probably would have gone through a lot less grief in the intervening years between then and and getting to where I am now.
0: And then my last question is, if you could offer some advice either to product managers looking to break into media or media operators overall, what would that advice be? Um,
1: Absolutely learn how to do it all yourself even if that means starting small, having the DIY ethos early in your journey. um, Look, I mean, it's a joke right now among my team. Like, Like, If the world was ending, I don't know how to fix anything on the website, nor should I, because I've now sort of been through enough cycles of this that I'm focused on the strategy and I'm focused on, how we're uh, going to market and how we're working with other groups. But I wouldn't be able to do that if I hadn't early in my career, you know, hand typeset a website. I built the first city magazine website ever. like, And, and just getting deep into it and understanding every bit of, well, okay, somebody pays you money. How do they pay you money? What system does that go through? How do you pay taxes on that? Uh, how does that go into a financial statement? How much money did you make on that piece of the business versus the other piece of the business? So I just, I really am a big believer in uh, you know, long-term success may mean staying out of the weeds, but I would tell everyone early on to get as
0: deep into the weeds as you can. If you enjoyed this episode, hit subscribe, and give it a five-star rating with your thoughts. If you want even more, sign up for the newsletter at amediaoperator.com. Each Tuesday, I analyze the latest media news. And on Fridays, I do deep dives into specific strategic and tactical topics about building media businesses. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.